Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. We are at the halfway point of the Gospel of John. So we will finish that this morning and pick it up after the first of the year. John chapter 12. And I want you to think about two images that may come into your mind. I want you to think about two things. First thing I want you to think about is a piece of wax, like maybe a candle, like something like this, that's on your dashboard in the middle of July, and the sun comes down upon that windshield, and what's it going to do to the wax? It's going to melt into a little pile of goo, okay? I want you to keep that image of, 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 in your mind, melted wax. Okay, another image I want you to keep in your mind is this. It's July... It's 105 degrees. You go out to one of the riverbeds here. It has been during a period of drought, and you look down at the riverbed, and there's no water, and it's caked, hard, dry mud. It's hardened clay. So so I want you to think of these two images in your mind. Melted wax and hardened clay. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. This morning's passage of Scripture is very, very difficult. It's a very difficult passage of Scripture. It's one that you come to it and you scratch your head and you're, you're, you're beginning to say, well, what does this really mean? So I want us to dive right into this passage of Scripture and be honest with this text, struggle with this text. But before we do that, I want to ask some questions. And I think they're easy questions, but let's just ask them anyway. Here's question number one. Was the death of Jesus prophesied in the Old Testament? Yes. Audience participation. Yes. Isaiah 53, verse 3, says this. He, speaking about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. This passage of Scripture clearly teaches that Jesus is going to be despised. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be hated. It's prophesied right there in the Old Testament. Okay, second question. Was the death of Jesus predestined by God to happen? Yes. I'm glad you're you're responding this morning. Acts 2.23. Peter stands up at Pentecost. He says these words, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was the definite plan plan of God. Later on in Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Okay, we see two passages of scripture here. The death of Jesus was prophesied to take place, 
The death of Jesus was predestined to take place. So here's the third question. How did God ensure that this prophetic and predestined plan would take place and that Jesus would be betrayed and that Jesus would go to the cross? How did God do it? Well, here's the answer. God's own people, the Jewish leaders of that day, would reject Jesus, they would betray Jesus, they would put Jesus on trial, they would be responsible for crucifying Jesus. Luke 2.34, when Simeon is blessing Mary, he says this, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child, Jesus, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Jesus would be for the fall and rising of many. He would be opposed. Okay, so let's just ask a question. Those of you that have been here for a while, we've been in the Gospel of John almost a year. And what have we seen over and over again with these Jewish leaders, with these Pharisees, with these people that are supposedly the religious people? What have we seen over and over again? They keep rejecting, disbelieving, annoying Jesus. They do not come to faith in Jesus. Now, there are some in the Gospel of John that do place their faith in Jesus, but for the most part, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders of that day, keep rejecting him, keep rejecting him, keep despising him, esteeming him not. And we found this out at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. What did John 1, 11, and 12 tell us? He came to his own. He came to his own, the Jews. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave right to become the children of God. Jesus came to his own people and they rejected him. They did not receive him. We've seen it all along. John 8, 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. These people can't bear to hear Jesus' word. They can't stand to hear Jesus' teaching. John 10, 25 through 26. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. They're not among his sheep. Later, actually earlier in John chapter 8, Jesus says, your father's the devil. Your father's the devil. You're not my sheep. You're not listening. You can't stand my word. You keep rejecting me time after time after time after time. Now, You may not have known this, but chapters 2 through 12 in the Gospel of John is called the Book of Signs. There are seven signs that we have seen over the past year. Number one, changing water into wine. Number two, healing the royal official's son. Number three, healing of the disabled man at the pool of Bethesda. Number four, the feeding of the 5,000. Number five, walking on water. Number six, healing a man born blind. And number seven, the final sign, the most important sign, raising Lazarus from the dead. Which is a pretty important miracle, right? Raising somebody from the dead. It was supposed to be the most powerful symbol to the Jewish people that Christ was the Messiah. It was undisputed. You could not deny that Jesus rose Lazarus from the tomb. He went to that tomb. Lazarus was dead for four days. He was rotting in the tomb. Jesus said, pull the stone away. He cried out, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. 
He was alive. Nobody could dispute it. So here's the question. If Jesus has done seven signs, and a powerful sign of raising Lazarus from the grave, how come these Jewish leaders, time after time after time after time, keep rejecting, keep despising, keep ignoring, keep rejecting, not believing in Jesus? Why do they do that? Well, let me give you a Charles Spurgeon quote, which is the title of our sermon. It's always good to go back to Spurgeon. Here's what he says. The same sun which melts the wax hardens the clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. One sun does two things. For some, it will melt the wax. For others, it will harden the clay. So here's Jesus' point of our passage this morning. Some will melt before Jesus in repentance and faith, while others will reject him with a hardened heart. And we see it right here in this passage of Scripture. There are going to be those that are going to reject Jesus because they have a hard heart. Their heart has been hardened like the clay as opposed to melted like the wax. So let's ask the question. Melted wax or hardened clay? Let's read together John chapter 12, starting in verse, halfway through verse 36. 36b, if you will. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who's believed what we heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart. In turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is the conclusion of the first half of the Gospel of John, and it ends on a sour note. The Jews, these leaders, reject Jesus. And verse 37 here says, after they had done so many signs, seven, with the final sign being Lazarus being raised from the dead. But notice what it says there in verse 37. They still did not believe in him. Now the grammar in the text is very telling. It means that it was a prolonged, constant ongoing refusal to believe. It wasn't just like they decided I'm not going to believe. It was, no, I'm digging in my heels and I'm refusing based upon the evidence of all of these miracles to refuse to believe in Jesus. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to continue to do it. I'm going to perpetually, ongoingly, continually, stubbornly not believe in Jesus even though there's clear evidence right in front of me. Right staring me in the face. And John tells us the reason why they don't believe. 
Now, we may not like John's answer, and you may struggle with it, but it's right there in the text. The reason they don't believe is because it was prophesied they wouldn't believe. He quotes Isaiah. Right there in verse 38, the word was spoken by the prophet Isaiah that it might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what we heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He quotes Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed what he's heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He quotes it right there. They could not believe. Now notice what it says there. Verse 38. I'm sorry, verse 39. They could not believe. It doesn't say they would not believe. It's not talking about their willingness to believe. They could not believe. Why could they not believe? Well, let's talk about Isaiah for a moment. Because Isaiah 52 speaks about Jesus being lifted up. Isaiah 53 speaks about Jesus dying on the cross. So in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, where he quotes from, it goes back to Jesus' statements that we saw just a few weeks ago. What did Jesus say just a few weeks ago that we looked at? Verse 23, go back to verse 23, chapter 12. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay? Then go to verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The hour has come for Jesus to be lifted up to die on a cross. That was prophesied in Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, 13 through 15, talks about Jesus being lifted up. It says this, Behold, my servant, that's Jesus, shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. There's the language. He shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so that he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they've not heard they understand. So Jesus is going to be lifted up on a cross. He prophesied right there in Isaiah 52. And it says he's, he's going to be marred beyond appearance. He's going to be pierced and, and crushed. He's going to suffer for our sins. It's prophesied right there in the Old Testament. But here's what it says. They could not believe this. They could not believe Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was come to die. Jesus was who he said he is. They could not believe why could they not believe? They were blind. Jesus had already told this same group of people they were blind. Back when Jesus healed the blind man, and after Jesus had healed the blind man, and the Pharisees are sitting around wondering what happened, Jesus looks them straight in the eye and says, you guys are blind. John 9, 39-41. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world. That those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. They're blinded to seeing 
Jesus. And that's, that's not a hard pill to swallow. They're blinded. The hard pill to swallow is why they're blinded. They are blinded because it was prophesied they would be blinded. Now, how do we know it was prophesied that they would be blinded? Because John tells us. Look at verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he's he's quoting from Isaiah. He's giving an Old Testament prophecy. Why are these people not believing? Why are they blinded? Why can't they see? It was prophesied that this was happening. Verse 40. He, this is God, God speaking. God, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. This is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 6, 9 through 10. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Why are these Jewish leaders at this particular point in time not believing in Jesus? Because it was prophesied that they would not. That God would blind their eyes. That God would harden their heart. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow, that God would do that to a group of people. That God would blind their eyes. And that God would harden their heart. So let's try to understand this a little bit better. What does this really mean? Well, let's just ask and answer some questions here related to this text. Here's the first thing we need to understand. First of all, men or people are not somehow morally neutral, but all people are born under the condemnation of sin. These Jewish leaders weren't somehow born neutral. They weren't morally neutral They were sinners. They were born sinners. David says in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was bought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. They were born with original sin. They They were born inheriting that sin nature from Adam. They were under God's wrath because they didn't believe in Jesus. John 3, 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So these are not morally innocent men who aren't doing anything wrong. They are morally accountable as sinners but here's number two and this is very important these jewish leaders were engaged in persistent and prolonged unbelief it was a persistent and prolonged unbelief over and over again at every turn after every sign after every time jesus stood up and said an i am statement they rejected him after they did a, after jesus performed a miracle they rejected him seven times seven miracles multiple times of rejecting him so it wasn't just this casual half-hearted rejection this was prolonged persistent i'm rejecting jesus at every turn with clear evidence in front of me to see that he's the son of god third thing we need to understand is this God is absolutely just to condemn those who are accountable for their unbelief. In other words, I don't know how all this works. So don't ask me. I just work here. I was telling that to somebody earlier. People were asking me questions about children's ministry. I don't know where the children are supposed to go this morning. Don't ask me. I just work here. Ask somebody that knows. I don't know the answer to this. But somehow the Bible teaches that God is sovereign 
and yet at the same time, people are responsible. And how those two things work together, I don't often know how it all works. But you have a passage of Scripture here that says God did it. God blinded their eyes. God hardened their hearts. Now, let me give you some quotes from some theologians that are a whole lot smarter than me to help us understand this. D.A. Carson has a great quote that's very helpful here. Let me, let me read to you his quote. He says, quote, God's judicial hardening is not presented as the capricious manipulation of an arbitrary potentate cursing morally neutral or even morally pure beings, but as a holy condemnation of a guilty people who are condemned to do and be what they themselves have chosen. And then Alfred Plummer says this. I like what he says. Grace may be refused so persistently as to destroy any power of accepting it. I will not leads to I cannot. I will not believe. I will not believe. I will refuse to believe. I will not believe. I will not believe. After a while, if I will not believe becomes the pattern, then it becomes I can't believe. Because you've put yourself in such a position to be hardened that you won't and you can't believe. And that's what these people were doing. Think about this. Did God force them to not believe in Jesus? Did God somehow put a gun to their head and said, you guys don't believe in Jesus? No, they were doing what they wanted to do all along. What did they want to do all along? Not believe in Jesus. Not believe in Jesus. Not believe in Jesus. Not believe in Jesus. And so God finally says, if that's what you want, if that's what you persistently want to not believe in Jesus, okay, have at it. You're not going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to blind you and I'm going to harden you. And so here's the fourth thing that we see oftentimes happens. Sometimes and oftentimes, God simply gives sinners over to what they want to do anyway. What did they want to do all along? Reject Jesus, plot his death, kill Jesus. It was prophesied they would do this, and so God gave them over. This is oftentimes what happens, um, especially in Romans chapter 1. This is what Paul says happens. In Romans 1, 24, Therefore God gave them up, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Romans 1.28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God gave them up. God gave them over. Here's the point. Sometimes God says this, if you want to continually persist in sin, I'm not going to stop you. Go right ahead. And you will experience the consequences of that sin. I'm not going to intervene to stop that sin. I'm not going to intervene because I'm giving you what you want. That's a dangerous place to be when God gives you over to what you want. And that's what's happening right here. And Augustine says this, God blinds and hardens simply by letting alone and withdrawing his aid. And God can do this judgment that's hidden, although not in any way being unjust. Here's the point of this particular passage. God is blinding and hardening these specific Jews so that they will carry out the crucifixion. So that they will carry out the prophesied predestined plan of God to make sure that Jesus gets crucified. And they will be responsible for their actions. Again, I don't know how it all works. I don't know how God can sovereignly do a work and yet people be responsible for that. The Bible talks about both. But I want us to be very careful. It's very specific. It's specific to this time and this place. God does a specific 
judicial hardening of a specific group of Jews at a specific point in time to carry out the crucifixion. So it's very specific to this passage of Scripture. God has given them over to what they wanted to do all along. What do they want to do all along? Kill Jesus. So it ends on a sad note. It was prophesied. He would be despised and rejected and not esteemed. He would come to his own and his own would not receive him. These Jewish leaders would reject and despise Jesus because it was prophesied and predestined that they would. And they're still held accountable for doing that. And I don't know how it all works, but you have the Jewish leaders rejecting Jesus after clear demonstration of sign after sign after sign, the raising of Lazarus, And God says, if that's the way you want to go, if you want to continue to disbelieve in Jesus, if you want to continue in your unbelief, I'm going to give you what you want. You will be blinded. You will be hardened. You will not believe. And it's all about the glory of God. Because notice what verse 41 says. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. I don't know how all this works. I don't know how, what Isaiah saw. I don't know if when Isaiah was writing Isaiah 52 and 53, somehow in his mind's eye, he saw Jesus dying on the cross. We don't really know. We know that what he has written is prophecies about Christ and the glory of Christ, Christ being lifted up. We know he wrote Isaiah 53, 5 that says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we were healed. Isaiah wrote about the glory of Christ. Go back and read, especially this Christmas time. Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 direct prophecies about the crucifixion of Christ. Isaiah 52, he will be high and lifted up. Isaiah 53, he will be crushed for our iniquities. And that somehow shows the glory of God in the cross. And Isaiah saw that. But did God blind all of the Jews? Did God harden all the Jews that were there? No, because we have a strong verse 42. Nevertheless, strong in the Greek language, therefore, nevertheless, on the contrary, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. There were many authorities who believed in Jesus. They just didn't do it openly. Now, we know probably by speculation it could have been Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Those are two Jewish authorities who later on were at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus who believed. At this time, they were secret agent Christians. They didn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue. They had peer pressure. They were fearing man. They did not want to make their public profession of faith out there for people to know about it because if somebody knows they're a Christian, it may affect their reputation. I wonder how many of us live that way. Because here's what verse 43 says. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Leon Morris says a great statement. He says this, To love the glory of men above the glory of God is the supreme disaster. What's the supreme disaster? It's not Hurricane Katrina. The supreme disaster is loving the glory of men over the glory of God. That's his opinion. And I would agree with him. 
So it ends on a sour note. His own people have rejected him. The same sun that melts the wax has hardened the clay. These Jewish leaders have become hardened. They are stubborn in their rejection. Time after time, they keep rejecting Jesus. They become so hardened that they're actually instrumental in in the prophecy of bringing about the death of Christ because in just a few days, they're going to put Jesus on trial. They're going to hand him over to Pontius Pilate. They are going to be the hardened, blinded Jewish leaders that bring about the prophetic death of Christ. But that's not the end of the chapter. You have somewhat of a little epilogue, a little summary statement from Jesus. Now, chronologically, we don't know where this summary statement takes place. That's not John's burden. John's burden is not to give us a chronological timeline. His burden is to end this midway section of John's gospel with a plea from Jesus to summarize everything he said in verses one through, or in chapters 1 through 12. So everything we've seen in chapters 1 through 12, Jesus is going to summarize in this plea for people to believe in him. So let's see this final epilogue here. Let's look at verses 44 through 50. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say, what to speak, and I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Notice the tone of Jesus. It's a tender appeal for people to believe in him. Come to me. Believe in me. I've been sent from my Father. I come in the authority of my Father. I'm not coming to judge you because you're already under judgment. I'm coming to save you. I'm coming to be the light of the world so that you may no longer walk in darkness. Believe in me. Receive me. Come to me. But there's a warning. What does he say? If you reject me, If you reject me in my words, there will be judgment on that final day. You will face judgment on that final day. You will be held accountable. If you do not believe in me, if you do not receive me as the light of the world, if you do not place your faith in me, you will be judged. So believe in me. So the book of signs has come to an end. Jesus' public ministry has come to an end. He hid himself. He's not going to come out in public until his trial. And he's presented overwhelming evidence as to who he is with seven signs and seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. He's made these statements about who he is. He's taught publicly. He's done miracle after miracle. He stood before the people time after time and said, Receive me. Come to faith in me. Believe in me. Place your faith in me. Come and find eternal life in me. And the Jewish leaders have made their decision. 
What have they done? We're going to plot his death. We're going to reject him at every turn. We're not going to believe. And as a result, God's going to give us over to being blinded and hardened because that's what we wanted all along. We don't want to believe in Jesus. The Jewish leaders have made their decision. The question then becomes, what about you? Have you made your decision? How are you going to respond to the invitation from Jesus? One thing you can see from this passage of Scripture is the urgency. The urgency. There is an urgency to believe in Jesus now. Let me just say this. You are not guaranteed another breath in your lungs. You are not guaranteed life when you walk out of those doors. None of us is guaranteed anything. And so the Bible says, under the sound of the voice, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Believe in Jesus today. There is an urgency. And there's an urgency this time of year to go tell others about Jesus. What better time than Christmas than to have an urgency to go tell people about the light of the world, Jesus, who saves us from our sins. Remember, Jesus divides people into two categories. We looked at this last week. There's only two categories Jesus divides you into. You're either in him as a believer, you've trusted him for salvation, you've repented of your sins, you've come to him in eternal life, he's your Lord and Savior. That's category one. Category two is you've not done that. You are not believing in Jesus. He's not your Lord and Savior. You're continuing in your sin. You're not repenting of your sin. You're not believing. There's no middle ground. You're either one or the other. And remember Charles Spurgeon's quote? The same son, the same message, the same gospel, the same Jesus that melts the wax also hardens the clay. Which one are you going to be this morning? Are you going to be melted wax? or hardened clay. Melted wax that is broken in repentance and faith and in humility and joy, you come before your Savior and say, I, I, all I can do is melt before you because you're so awesome. You take my sin. Or you look at the glories of Jesus and say, I'm sufficient. I don't need Christ. I've got it all figured out. I've got a hard heart. My prayer is this, that every single one of us in this room this morning would melt like wax before Jesus, who was lifted up on a cross to die. And Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. So as you see Christ high and lifted up this morning, my prayer is that you would have a heart that melts like wax and you would have eyes to see and a soft heart to believe and that you would walk out of here as melted wax and not hardened clay. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And only you know which one you are. Only you know which category you're in. And God knows. And so you've heard the message this morning.
and you're accountable for the message. So my plead with you is this. Would you receive Jesus as your Savior? Would you repent of your sins and come to him in faith? Would you melt like wax before the risen king? And our prayer, Lord, is that we would have hearts that are like melted wax. That, Lord, we would be soft before you, that our hearts would be broken, that we truly would be repentant. Lord, I don't want anybody to walk out of this place hardened. And maybe there's some hard clay hearts in here that are resistant to you and, and Lord Jesus, we know that you can break through any resistance. Holy Spirit, you can come through any type of resistance. You, you, you saved Paul. You saved me. You saved many in this room that were hardened to you. They leave this place melting like wax before the risen Savior. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.